Welcome back to the Grim and Gilded podcast. Seal the door, pour the salt, and light the candle. It's time for our next tale. Episode 7, featuring two flash fiction pieces from Issue 13. Part 1, Stormhouse by Oakley Harbor. The windows are thickly coated with gunk and it's obvious that they lost their purpose a long time ago. They rattle when the wind blows. Shelley listens to them quake in their frames when the thunder hits. Shelley's father comes home, and with him a gust of wind that punches against the glass. Her mother comes home, and with her a fog that shields the sun from coming in. Insulation, she coos. Good for our energy bill and turn these lights off if you're not using them. Shelley wonders if they've bought apples at the store. A drought in Texas has shrunk the Honeycrisps. You can still find them, even off-season, but even a bushel leaves room in your bread box. There's a hunger inside Shelley, and it burns more than anything has ever burned. It is voracious and vicious and anxious. We could think of things much cooler, like a thumb sliding against the metal of a lighter too close to where it burns, or a cheek against a car window on a summer afternoon. But Shelley can't. It's been too long since she's felt such things. The roof leaks, even when it isn't raining. Her mother is so tired of calling someone to patch it up that she has decided to just let it happen. It doesn't take too long for the smell of mold to settle in, but she doesn't mind it too much. It floods her senses with memories of falling asleep, still soaking, in bathing suits. It reminds her of bare feet hitting the cement around public pools. It reminds her of happier times. None of the brightness and all of the wet. The roof is beginning to swell, too. Bulbous. She thinks it's like watching mushrooms budding new caps. It blisters. It droops. She waits with quiet intrigue for it to burst for it to pour all sorts of sludge and bacteria down on her like a dam bursting, but it won't happen so fast. Though, sometimes, pieces do break off and hit her dresser with soft, wet thumps. As faint as a whimper, her mother whispers, There's fruit in the fridge to eat. Shelley opens the drawer and finds sludge, brown and sticky. It smells sickly sweet, like peaches and vinegar, and fruit flies have gone crazy for it. Shelley can tell they sipped at it, had a frenzy, bred lots of babies until it got too sticky and trapped their little eyelash legs. Shelley understands how they feel. Her mother and father play a game with the doorknob. Mom says, Shelley, why don't you go outside? Have a walk. Grab a sandwich. Shelley will touch the doorknob, and father booms, Shelley, what on earth do you think you're doing? Shelley lets go of the doorknob. Mother says, Shelley, have you left yet? 
Shelley reaches for the knob. Father clenches his teeth so hard they bleed. Shelley lets go of the knob. Mother says, Don't pout. It's no one's fault but your own. Shelley retreats. How much fun the three of them are having going through their motions. Shelley goes to bed hungry. All sorts of things can grow on your body when nature is left to eat away at you. Twigs protrude from the surface of Shelley's skin. They grow waxy green leaves that pop as Shelley lies in bed and plucks them off. In the spring, Shelley's father snaps the twigs off of her when he isn't watching where he's going, exposing the dense, wooden meat. Shelley's mother prunes them with shears when she braids Shelley's hair. She scolds Shelley and tells her to take better care of herself. She says, Look at the state of you. You're covered in galls. Shelley feels no fault for the things that grow on her. After a few days, the bumps scar over. Her ceiling rots the way she imagines a carcass would, but she's never seen that happen. She imagines that it happens the same way that the peel of a banana rots, and that is something she's familiar with. The skin slowly shrinks in on itself, separating from the flesh. She imagines the disease spreading to her walls. As she sleeps, she sees them melting in her dreams. Their muscles are slacking off of their skeletons in one languid landslide. She is grateful to see the sun through their hollow bones. In the morning, she watches her leaves turn orange and then brown. They don't hurt as they crumble. She forgets to brush her teeth. Shelley's father tells her to forget about her molars, that she won't eat a single thing without saying her prayers. Shelley's mother boils something in a pot and tells her to sit very still, and Shelley watches as it reduces down to nothing but burnt tubers. She doesn't feel the steam from the pot through the humidity of the house, a choking, dank shroud that feels as natural as her feet on the ground. Shelley goes a whole day like this. She listens to the little sounds of nothing being done. Dishes rattling, but not being cleaned. Voices talking, but nothing being said. The floorboards start to droop in the middle, having taken too much mildew. She wears socks and tries to slide instead of step as she retreats back to her room, once she's been told it's nightfall. She sits alone in her room in the dark. This is when the house rattles the loudest. No one can hear her. No one is awake. From her body drops little rotted apricots. They're wrinkled, like a wart that has fallen off. There's a hunger in Shelley that burns, hotter than anything. She squeezes them beneath her thumb and index finger until the juice runs red. She plops them into her mouth, holding her breath as she chews and swallows. Part 2. The Monster of Wicket Village by Jack Byland
I was a young man when the creature haunted our homes, killed our people, and broke our souls. We were decent people before then. September had come cold and serene on our wicket when the birds left and the forest fell silent. No one saw it at first, but people began to disappear. Men did not return from the forest. A shut-in was not heard from in five days. When the constable broke down the door, he was nowhere to be found. A black substance, thick and oily, lay in a spotted trail from the bedroom to a window and out into the forest. Gossip soon spread that this substance was always near where vanished persons had last been seen. The tanner's wife near the washing bucket behind the house, then her two young daughters at the edge of the woods. Not everyone disappeared. A farmer was found dead inside his barn, surrounded by black substance. His face was intact, frozen in a deathly expression of unutterable terror. Most of his body was torn apart, devoured. The decent folk of Wicket Village became vigilant after the first few disappearances. No one walked at night. No one went about town or the forest alone. For the first deaths, most thought a bear, or perhaps a pack of wolves was at fault. As the toll mounted, accusations began to fly. This was a plot, some said, for political power in the village. This was the work of a deranged murderer hidden among us, others said. Trials were held, and reputations ruined, but nothing came of it. There was no evidence at all to convict any suspect. I first saw the monster out my window on a moonlit night. Without the light, I never would have seen it. At first, I thought it was a cloaked man, for it was as a man in shape. I was ready to tell off the person for walking alone at night in such dangerous times. Upon closer inspection, however, I realized that it was a creature not covered in a cloak, but in a viscous, dark liquid, the same oily substance that had been seen around the village. It wore it like a terrible suit that dripped behind. It had a long face without discernible eyes, an unnaturally large mouth of sharp teeth. Its fingers were as long as a forearm and tipped with cruel claws. Full of horror, I remained quiet as the monster walked in perfect silence past my home and into the night. When I shared my story in the morning, not everyone believed me. Not at first. Still, the story spread enough fear for action to be taken. A militia came together to guard the village. Families living on the outskirts or further off in the woods moved in temporarily with those who lived in homes closer together in the village heart. By then, 17 people, men, women, and children, had either disappeared or had been found dead and devoured. Eventually, we villagers of Wicket discovered that the dark substance was combustible. The creature was covered in oil or at least an oil-like element. A trap was planned. A few pigs were slaughtered and placed together in the center of the town square. All booths and shops were carted away to make it an open space. Militiamen watched in shifts from windows surrounding the town square with old guns from old wars and aged bows with flammable arrows. 
the beast would come for its bloody meal, and the militia would set it aflame and kill it. The monster did not come, not after three nights. The creature did not thirst for the blood of animals. After much debate, we decided to tie August, a horse thief, to a post in the center of Wicket. We were sure of his guilt. Death to save his betters was a fair price for his crimes. We were decent folk, after all. It came that night. So certain were we of its coming that all the militiamen were awake and ready, despite orders to maintain only two watchmen. It was just as I described it, a monster covered in a black cloak of oil. In perfect silence, it walked with certain steps towards August, who, tied facing away from the monster, could neither see nor hear its deathly approach. He must have felt it near, though. He began to scream for his life, pleading for mercy, for help, for anything. I turned my face away, but his cries echoed into my soul. I had to look again, though, when the order came to fire the arrows. They came down on the beast like falling stars, and it was alight in an instant. I saw the monster in full the moment the light of the arrows illuminated its foul hide. The beast was soon drenched in hellfire, a barely humanoid shape in raging arcs of gold and red. It raised its head to the sky and unleashed a scream such as I had never heard before, that I still hear at night as I close my eyes. The screech sounded precisely like that of a young child, but longer. It held the scream for half a minute or eternity. Then it continued, still ablaze, to August, still tied at his post. It came behind him, where he screamed fervent prayers and pleas for mercy, and wrapped him in a burning embrace with its long arms and longer fingers. It devoured him. Both their screams fell silent as it did. And we watched our bloody sacrifice. Though we hoped the fire would slay it, the monster fled into the night, leaving a scorched trail. In the morning, August's scant remains received a burial of the highest honor we could conceive. It was all we knew to do. No one tried to justify what happened. We never saw the monster again. A monster once came to the men of Wicked Village, and it turned us all into its own image. The first piece featured in today's episode, Stormhouse, was written by Oakley Harbor. Oakley is a 26-year-old queer writer hailing from Spring, Texas. They are currently growing up in Chicago, Illinois, where they studied creative writing at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. When they aren't pretending their cats are two human children, they are teaching babies how to swim and going for long walks by the lake. Our second piece today, The Monster of Wicket Village, was written by Jack Byland. Jack is an editor and writer based out of Utah. He's teaching English while pursuing a master's degree. He loves Panda Express, 
bad movies, and writing stories about the end of the world. His writing is published in Nightlight, The Dangling Modifier, Sink Hollow, and Blind Corner Literary Magazines. Grim and Gilded would like to thank, as always, the wonderful writers who submit their work to the show. In addition to the podcast, you can discover our literary journal of dark fiction online at www.grimandgilded.com. There you can find more short stories, flash fiction, and poetry, all from our amazing authors. You can also find details on how to submit your own work for consideration. Support for the podcast comes entirely from you, the listener. Please visit our Kofi page at www.kofi. That's ko-fi.com forward slash Grim and Gilded. We'll see you next time.